Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, we are continuing through um, <clears throat> this sermon series called Route 66. Um, the idea here is to go through the entire Bible, one sermon per Bible book, starting in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And today we reach a book of the Bible that is actually a pretty popular, pretty well-known. I mean, some of the books that we've looked at in the past, maybe uh, it was the first time you'd ever heard any sermon on a book like Second Chronicles or First Kings. But today we get to a book that is very well-known. It's the Psalms, um, some of the most beloved and well-known books uh, in the Bible or book in the Bible. Uh, a, a psalm, the Psalms are a little different than the other books because the Psalms are actually a compilation of individual songs and prayers, 150 of them actually. And these are here in our Bible to give God's people a vocabulary for how to worship him and for what to say to him when we worship him. There are a variety of different kinds of psalms. Some of them are very small, two verses. Some of them are very long, 178 verses. There are thanksgiving psalms, messianic psalms, kingship psalms, nature psalms. There are psalms of lament where God's people are just pouring out their heart and their pain and their anguish. And there are also wisdom psalms. And that's the kind of psalm we're going to be looking at today. Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm. You might remember that we have moved now in our Route 66 series into the wisdom books. Remember, we were in the historical books for a while. First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, Esther, those were historical books. Now we're entering into the wisdom books. Job was the first wisdom book. We covered Job two weeks ago. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon are all wisdom books. And so Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm, and this is a wisdom psalm about wealth, about money, about possessions. When we get to the New Testament, we find that Jesus says how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't say it's impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, but he does say it's hard for wealthy people to go to heaven. That's what he's saying. It's difficult. Why would that be? Well, one thing for sure, if that is true, and Jesus said it, so it is true, it's something, therefore, that we need wisdom, a lot of wisdom, and knowing how to deal with our money and possessions and wealth. And again, that's what Psalm 49 deals with. So some background information here on Psalm 49, um, or on the Psalms, I should say. <clears throat> uh, author, well, a number of different authors. David has authored most of the Psalms, I think about half of them, maybe a little more than half. Uh, the sons of Korah are ascribed as author of some Psalms, including the Psalms we're looking at today, Psalm 49. Um, a guy named Asaph, Moses, wrote a psalm, and, and others. So there's various authors. Psalms were written between 1000 and 450 B.C., so they cover many centuries of time before the coming of Christ. Um, theme, or themes, we should make that plural because the psalms have a number of different themes. Worship, salvation, judgment, lament, thanksgiving, um, corresponding to some of the types of psalms that I mentioned earlier. So a number of different themes um, significant events, 
Well, they actually are, in some cases, the Psalms historical, because in some cases they are written about specific events. So very often the Psalms written by David are David writing about things that was happening in his life at the time and how he was dealing with that in his worship uh, of God. But very often also these Psalms are given for God's people to know how to worship him in a corporate setting, just like we're doing here this morning. So, we're going to read Psalm 49. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible underneath a chair in front of you, white, blue paperback Bible. You can grab that. It's on page 270 of your paperback Bible. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you are able, please stand, and I'm going to read Psalm 49 to us. <clears throat> Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. God, open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So you'll see how this psalm opens here. It's a little bit unusual. Most of the psalms are given to Israel, to God's people for a specific purpose. But you'll notice here that this psalm opens by declaring that this is a psalm for all peoples. Hear this, all peoples, everybody, all the inhabitants of the world. So this is a psalm with universal appeal. It's a, uh, uh, directing or um, discussing something that all of us deal with, and that is this question of how we should view and use our wealth. But it's interesting in verse 2 that he says, both low and high, rich and poor together. So sometimes we think that poor people are those who 
don't really have a problem with wealth, but according to the psalmist, is that whether you're poor or rich, this psalm has something to say to you. So if you're thinking, well, I'm not a rich person, this is for the rich people in the room. No, the psalmist says this is for you too. It's for the rich and the poor alike. And what we're learning here is what wealth can do and what it can't do and the priority that it should have in our lives. So three things that I want to show you here. And the first is this. It is, let's just admit it, it is tempting to boast in wealth. So this is the problem the psalmist is having here. He speaks of this thing he calls a riddle in verse 4. So there's something bothering him. There's There's an issue here. There's a problem, and the problem is described in verses 5 and 6. That is that he is overcome with fear in times of trouble, and in this time of fear, he looks around and he sees these wicked people who are cheating him, taking advantage of him, and the thing that he is noticing about these particular wicked people is that they are people who trust in their wealth. Do you see that, verse 6? Those who trust in their wealth... And they boast in the abundance of their riches. So remember later on, Jesus said that he who exalts himself will be humbled. Scriptures speak of this. Those who boast will be brought low. And the psalmist is saying, okay, here's all these rich, wicked people. But, and they're boasting, but God is not humbling them. What's the problem here? I'm a righteous person here. I'm a godly person trying to do what God wants. And I look around and see these wicked people who are growing in their wealth. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything. That's the riddle. That's the problem that he's dealing with. But he notices here that these rich are boasting in their riches. And before we get too hard on those who boast in their riches, we should acknowledge, I think, together that this is easy to do. It's easy to boast in our riches. And so there are some reasons given for that. The first reason in this psalm is is this, that when we get wealthy, we tend to get approval from other people. I mean, one way to get the attention of others is to be rich. And so verse 13, the psalmist says this. He talks about foolish confidence, but then he says, yet after them, people approve of their boasts. These rich people talking big about all that they have, the cars that they own and the bigness of their houses and all the things that they purchased and it might bother us a little bit but kind of deep down we're kind of fascinated too with the rich. You know, there was a TV show years ago called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was on TV for 10 or 11 years. Apparently a pretty popular show. I've never seen it myself but I know the the tagline on the show was this. It was a show about champagne wishes and caviar dreams. And for those of us who long for wealth, that's kind of what we dream about, champagne and caviar and all kinds of rich food, money to buy, whatever we want. That's something that we want. And when we see others who live that way, we're kind of fascinated with it. And so it's tempted to boast in wealth because of the attention and approval that we can get from others. But there's another reason that it's tempting to boast in wealth, and that is the very obvious material blessing that comes along with wealth. Verse 18, while he lives, he counts himself blessed. Talking about the rich, wealthy person. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, the psalmist is saying, 
that the person with wealth is a person who considers himself or herself blessed. That's true because in a sense, wealth is a blessing. I mean, let's just acknowledge that. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having money. And when you have wealth, there are certain blessings attached to that. The scripture says God richly provides us everything to enjoy. We shouldn't feel guilty if we're wealthy. It's a blessing. And if you have a lot of resources, you feel blessed and you are blessed and you should thank God for the blessings that you have. Let's just acknowledge here that it's hard to be poor. It, it is. I mean, if you're a person and you, know, you see other parents buying Christmas gifts for their kids and you don't have the money to do it, or you see other people taking vacations throughout the year and it's been years since you've been able to take a vacation because you can't afford it, and then some preacher stands up and says, don't put your heart in your wealth, you know, I can see how that would be a little bit irritating. <laughs> because maybe what you're thinking is, look, I'm not trying to get wealthy, I just want to pay the bills. So I, I get that. And there, there are blessings that come along with wealth. And that's what the psalmist acknowledges in verse 18. While he lives, he counts himself blessed. But the other thing, the other reason why it might be tempting to boast in wealth is reputation and fame that can come along with wealth. See this in verse 11. The end of verse 11, that last line, though they called lands by their own names. So referring to these rich people who had these huge tracts of land named after them. So their reputation has been perpetuated. And you know, this is very common, still happens today. We have a university here called Ball State. Well, the word ball comes from a, a, a family called the Ball Brothers a wealthy family, and so their name has been perpetuated. Their reputation has been extended through the naming of this university. Well, the same kind of thing happened at this time. Rich people and kings would name land after themselves in order to preserve and perpetuate their reputation. So for these and many other reasons, it's tempting to boast in wealth. And so maybe this is you today. Your heart is set on wealth. You probably wouldn't say it this way, but maybe you're thinking, if I have a lot of money, I can prevent most problems in my life, and I can also fix most problems that would come into my life if I have a lot of money. Maybe you're thinking, if I don't have a lot of money, I'm a failure. I'm a nobody. My parents made a lot of money. My friends who graduated from high school with me and from college, they went on, they've made a lot of money. I don't make as much as them. I'm a failure. And inside, you're just you're pining after more wealth. Maybe you're thinking that the only way to really be happy in this life is to be wealthy. And there's no way that you can be happy if you have left less than those you know. Maybe that's your feeling today. You want to boast in wealth. The question is, is that wise? I, I think it's a temptation that probably most of us and maybe all of us share. But is it wise and the psalmist answers this question pretty clearly by telling us that it's foolish to trust in wealth. He says this very clearly in verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. 
Remember, this is a wisdom psalm, so he's explaining the difference between wise living and foolish living. One of the ways to live foolishly is to set your heart on your wealth, to put your confidence in your wealth, to think to yourself, everything is okay because I have a lot of money. My bank account is high, so therefore I can rest in peace because I've got money to deal with whatever might come my way. What the psalmist says is that's a foolish way to approach your life. And the reason is this. we got three reasons why that's foolish. And the first is this, because wealthy people die. Now, I mean, we all know that, but maybe another way to put this is, is this, that your money can't prevent your death. Your wealth cannot purchase a pass from death. So you see this in verse 10. Um, he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish. That is, you might be wise and able to make a lot of money, and you might be stupid and you can't make any money, but in any case, the wise and the stupid and the foolish, they all die, and once they die, the end of verse 10, they leave their wealth to others. That's the problem. They leave their wealth to others. No matter what you accomplish and accumulate, in this life, your house, your car or your cars, your clothes in your closet, your TV, your collections of things, your computers, your stocks, your shoes, you're going to leave them all behind. <laughs> you know, sometimes people ask that question when somebody dies. Yeah, how much did he leave? And the answer is always everything. You always leave everything behind. Verse 17, he says it in a different way. When he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. His glory in this life will not follow him into the grave. The glory that he accumulated on this earth is left on earth. His soul goes somewhere else. His body goes into the grave. And then we get this repeated refrain. I said that the Psalms are like songs. And so there's kind of like a chorus. You know how when you listen to a pop song, you'll get a chorus that repeats. Well, the chorus in this Psalm is verses 12 and 20. And it's a repetition. And it says basically this This is the path of those who have foolish. No, excuse me, that's 13. Verse 12 Man in his pomp, or man in his riches, will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. The person who lives his life or her life entirely to gain wealth is no different than an animal that perishes. I mean, you've all driven down the road and you look off to the side and there's that squirrel that got hit by a car and it's flattened on the road or maybe you see a cat or a deer or something and, and you know, it's kind of gross and you might kind of, you know, sneer a little bit, but you know what you do? You drive right on by. And you forget about it because it's just a beast that has perished and nothing more. And what the psalmist is saying is if you live your life simply to gain wealth without any reference to God whatsoever, you're just like that squirrel on the side of the road. You're like road meat is what the psalmist is saying. Wealthy people die. But death is not the end because then he goes on and he says... The wicked will suffer. There is an afterlife. Something happens. 
after a person dies. And verse 14 tells us what this is like. For the person who does not know God, like sheep, they're appointed for Sheol. Sheol is like a place of darkness, a place of judgment. It's kind of an Old Testament precursor to the New Testament description of hell. Like sheep, they're appointed for Sheol. Death will be their shepherd. There's no life anymore. Life is gone, and now death guides them. The upright, the righteous, are now their overlords. They rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Later on, in verse 19, another description. His soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. So this passage is describing this, this place of everlasting darkness where some people go. People who have no relationship with God, no matter how much money they've made, they might wind up in a place like that. And so now we're beginning to see what the real problem is here. The real problem in our lives is not that we don't have as much money as we might like to have. The real problem in life is that there is a place called hell where some people go. And the question is, am I going there? Are you going there? That's what the psalmist wants to think about. And then he takes it one step further and he says, here's another reason why it's foolish to trust in wealth. Wicked people are going to die. Wicked people who don't know God, they're going to be suffering. And at that point, your wealth cannot redeem. Your wealth can do nothing for you. On that last day, and that's what he says in verses 7 through 9, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. What he's saying here is there is no amount of money that can purchase a human soul. There's no amount of money that you can put forth to purchase your soul, and there's no amount of money that any other person can do for you. No one else can come up and give you a loan or something to buy your soul out of this place called Sheol because the ransom for their life is costly. It's never enough. In other words, there is no spiritual currency to the earthly money that we have in, in this life. It doesn't translate. It's like taking dollars and trying to use them in China. It's not going to work. And so the psalmist says, this is the real problem. Your soul is too valuable. It's too precious to be purchased by money. This guy named Alan Noble says it like this. Each person's existence is infinitely significant because they're made in the image of a transcendent God. So when they die, their death ought to register throughout every square inch of the earth. What he's saying is there's something so valuable about a human being made in the image of God that when that person, any person dies, something truly significant has happened. You know what this is like, don't you? I mean, you've probably had a loved one in your life pass away at some point. A husband or a wife or son or a daughter or a mother or a father, somebody Somebody died, and, and you know what that shock feels like when you lose somebody close to you. Somebody who's dead, even though you knew that person was going to die maybe because they were ill and they were sick, and you're preparing, and then it happens, and it's still, it's just like, 
you have now like entered a different phase of your existence. It's like something has changed. Something's different now. And, and maybe you know what it's like. You, maybe you just heard the news of this loved one who died, and you look out the window, and you see somebody cutting their lawn. Or you see the mailman come. You look up into the sky, and you see an airplane fly over, and you ask yourself, how does the world continue to go on? When my husband died, when my daughter died, when my mother died, why does the world keep moving? The world ought to stop for this event, the death of a person. That's what Alan Noble is saying. And the reason for that is what the psalmist is saying. The price of the life is too costly. It's somebody in God's image who has passed on, and there's no money that can redeem. But the last thing that he tells us is this. It is wise to invest wealth in the gospel. Because there, there is hope here. There's these wonderful two words in verse 15. It's interesting. These same two words are used in Ephesians 2. Maybe you remember in Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We follow the prince of the power of the air. We're children of wrath. And then in verse 5, Paul says, but God, who is rich in love and rich in mercy, and he made us alive together. I mean, those are two really important words for any Christian. But God, but God. Apart from God, our situation is hopeless. But God steps in and God does something. Do you see in verse 15, that's what he says. But God, it's true, verse 14 just told us about our form being consumed in Sheol. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Friends, no man can ransom you. No amount of money can redeem you, but God can. There is a God who can ransom you, and the way he can do this is by giving of himself. One who is of infinite worth can come and give himself for you, and that's what he did. The psalmist here didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but we do. Living in the new covenant age, we know that God came in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus gave himself, a person of infinite value, laid down his life on the cross to redeem you and to purchase your soul. And so 1 Peter says it, sums it up for us. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that is wealth, money. That's not how you were redeemed, Peter says, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were not purchased, Christian, with money. You were purchased with blood. Blood that has an infinite value to redeem your soul. And so the summary here is, is simply this, that the temptation for us is to spend our lives accumulating wealth, thinking that wealth is going to solve our problems. But our biggest problem is the fact that we're all going to die one day. Your obituary is going to be in the newspaper one day. You ever look at the obituary and you kind of want to see how people died and how old they were? People are going to pick up the paper and read your obituary. One day. Maybe that day is sooner than you think. That's the problem, the psalmist is saying. Are you really going to spend your life trying to make money when that's the problem you need to wrestle with? 
That, that's the point here that the psalmist is making. And so let me just leave you with this, this question before we close. Is God your wealth or is your wealth your God? Are, are you finding in the gospel the wealth that you really need to satisfy your soul? Or are you making your wealth, your possessions, your money, your God? Something to be worshipped. Now, I, I'm going to apply this by referring to some news that was presented here just a, a couple of weeks ago um, about the financial situation here at our church. You know, you can learn where we are financially in our worship booklet. I think it's the, one of the back pages there. Uh, you can always find out where we are in terms of our budget and expenses. And Larry Belcher told us a couple of weeks ago that, you know, our, our giving is, is down and um, we're, we're not only way below budget, but we're way below expenses. So, you know, we're spending more money than is coming in. And, you know, that's not a sustainable situation. And we, we don't really know why this is the case. Uh, one thing we do know is that if everybody tithed, we'd be fine. I mean, it's just that simple. The, the, the problem is not that we have this exorbitant budget that we can't meet. That's not the problem. If everybody tithed, we would meet our requirements and, and then some. There would be no problem. And, and let me just say, if you're a member of this church, you should be tithing. Now, I, I don't want you to be guilted into that. I, I want you to know that when you give to the local church, you're investing in something infinitely valuable. And so, you know, there are things that God has been doing in the life of this church over the years, Think, things that are really wonderful, really great. So we did a little research and found out that since 2011, there have been 173 people who have made professions of faith in this church. Now, I don't mean necessarily first-time professions. I think a lot of those people were, were Christians before. But nonetheless, they came to this church and they stood up here on this platform and they said, I acknowledge myself to be a sinner. I receive and rest on Jesus alone for my salvation and I endeavor to be a follower of Christ. They made that profession. That's a huge thing. Whether it was the first time or not, 173 people. That's a sign of the Spirit of God at work in people. From this church, people have come through this church and are in various other places of ministry. We've mentioned this many times, the number of people who have gone to seminary. We, we have people from this church who are, uh, one guy is a pastor down in Noblesville. Another guy is a pastor in Pittsburgh. We have another one about to become a pastor in the Philadelphia area. And you all know we have a church planter in downtown Muncie, a, a brand new congregation Gospel preaching, local church that we started here a few years ago under Josh Hollowell's leadership. We have a, a youth leader in St. Louis. We have a camp counselor now in the Lafayette area. This church has, through its wealth, supported missionaries all over the world, from Australia to China to Mexico to Japan people in these far reaches of the globe where the population of Christians is sometimes as low as 1%. Nobody's hearing about Jesus in these places. And here are people going into these places and this little congregation in Yorktown is supporting them and taking part in that. 
But you know, those people need money. They've got families. They've got to put food on their table. They've got bills to pay. And money helps with that. We have somebody at St. Louis who started something called the Global Counseling Network, um, a counseling service helping missionaries on the field who don't have anybody to talk to when they're going through very hard situations on, on the field. Somebody from this church who's now in St. Louis started that ministry. He'll actually be here in a couple of weeks to give you an update on that. Not to mention the you know, ongoing ministries to children, both here in this church, kids in the meadow, Kids Hope, ministries to the elderly in our community, ministries to sexually addicted people, ministries to troubled marriages that go on here week after week, year after year. Somebody came to me the other day, pulled me aside and said, Bob, I just want you to know this church saved my life. Now, I'm not going to say who that person is. That person did give me permission to relay that to you. <laughs> and I want you to know, I'm not here bragging. I don't want to brag. These are things that God has done in this church. And not just through me or Pastor Brian, through all of you, through the church, through the community here that exists. This is not, if this is boasting, it's boasting in the Lord and the way God works through local congregations to bless people. And so I just want you to know, when, when you give to this church, you're giving to something that is wonderful. You're, you're giving to something that is infinitely valuable. You're giving to the advancement of the gospel for the glory of God and the exaltation of his name. So where is your heart, friends? Is it in your wealth or is God your wealth? Is the gospel your wealth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given all that we need. You have provided abundantly for us. And Lord, we are grateful. We know that you will provide for this church. You always have. We know you always will. We trust you. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to be generous givers of our wealth for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.